Friends, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 80, and it's part number two of our series called Women's Voices You Need to Hear. And uh, I'm excited because today's guest is Amber Cantorna, and she's going to sit down with us and share her story. And uh, I'm not going to give you any of the details. I'm going to keep you in suspense uh, for these next few moments, uh, but you're going to love her. Uh, you're going to love her her story. Her books, uh, she wrote a book called Refocusing My Family, and then another book called Unashamed, A Coming Out Guide for LGBTQ Christians. So uh, go pick them up on Amazon or wherever it is that you buy good books. I think they're actually on sale, if I remember correctly, on Amazon. It's Refocusing My Family, I think, is on sale last time I looked. So go check that out. Both are super, super good. If you want to know what this series is about, uh, hit pause. Go back to last week's episode with Cindy Wong Brandt. Uh, the first eight minutes or so, I give a small blurb about what it is that we're doing. Uh, so go check that out. Talk about what we're doing, where we're going, origins of the series, what to expect going forward, all the different things. Uh, what If Project Community is a place on Facebook, a closed Facebook group, where you can go to find some friends. So if you're in a place where you're wandering through the wilderness of your faith, uh, you're asking questions, expressing doubts, people in your life are nervous, uh, that's a place where you can go to find people like you who are asking similar questions, expressing similar doubts. Uh, nobody's in there trying to convert anybody, shame anybody, debate anybody. Uh, everybody in there is welcomed, um, respected, and uh, sharing resources that they have found helpful in their own spiritual journey. So go check that out. Link is in the show notes. Along with the link for Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, that's a place where you can go uh, to, to support the show. And uh, all the money goes to help with the hosting fees uh, for the blog, for the podcast, uh, for the website, and also some money to get me to the Wild Goose Festival um, every summer, which is coming up again in July. And uh, you'll be hearing more about that uh, pretty, pretty soon. Coming soon is the What If Project Heretic Shop, which is a place where you'll be able to buy hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, backpacks, uh, all different things. And it was going to go up this week, uh, but then I realized you have a lot of math to do to figure out shipping. I didn't know you had to set up like shipping. I thought that was like automatic. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, but you got to be like a mathematician to figure out uh, what shipping costs all over the world. And that's just mind boggling to me. So I had to hit pause on the shop and do some research. And luckily, Seth Price over at the Can I Say This at Church podcast has a store with the same platform. He also works at a bank, so he's like a math wizard, and he's been helping me understand what it is that the store is asking for. So that's coming soon. Uh, all the stuff is designed. It's pretty cool stuff. I think you'll like it, uh, but hopefully I'll have it up by next week or the week after uh, whenever I get my algebra textbook out from college and <laughs> make my way through probably the later chapters of the book to try to figure out how to do the shipping costs. But anyway, uh, all of that to say, uh, special music today is from my friends at Denver Kreitz Band. I work with one of their band members. Uh, great guys following their passions, doing cool things, making cool music. Uh, links to their stuff is in the show notes, Apple Music, Spotify, um, all of the places. And before we roll into the episode, uh, what I'm doing in this series is taking time uh, to read for you a short piece of feminist theology or uh, a poetry from a female voice, or in this case, an excerpt uh, from Amber's book, Unashamed, a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians. I want to pay her some honor 
and some respect, and I want to read for you um, a paragraph that really uh, made an impact on me and made me think a little bit about about my own faith. So it comes from her book, again, Unashamed, and it comes from page 14 early on in the book. And she says this, Part of the challenge that we face as Christians is that we've been taught to not trust our feelings. We've suppressed the inner voice that speaks to our spirit. We've dismissed it, labeled it as our sinful nature, when in reality we are actually suppressing the very voice of God. We are diminishing the vessel that God uses to speak to our souls, the Holy Spirit. We've come to trust the conservative church more than we trust our inner voice. Let me tell you that as a beloved child of God, you don't need pastors or church leaders to hear from God on your behalf. You have full access to hear from God yourself. Pay attention and listen to that still, small voice. Give yourself permission to trust it. Yes, glean wisdom from people who are ahead of you on your journey. Read information from trusted biblical scholars, but listen to the instrument by which God imparts his love into your very soul. And this, my friends, is my conversation with Amber Cantorna. Enjoy. When you were a bird, I'd let you fly. Far, far away, up ever so high. When you were a river, I'd let you run. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, it is great to have you here as we are sitting down today with a very special guest who I've been very excited uh, to talk to. Her name is Amber and she is the author of a book called Refocusing My Family, uh, subtitled Coming Out, Being Cast Out and Discovering the True Love of God. So Amber, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It is great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So Amber, I read your book and uh, actually I read Refocusing My Family and I read uh, Unashamed. And I got to start off by thanking you uh, for being so vulnerable and so courageous and sharing uh, your very personal story in what is obviously a very public way. Uh, because I feel like not only can your story impact, obviously, LGBTQ people who have been cast out of their families, their faith circles, but really it can speak to anyone who's been cast out of their family or their faith circle because of other things, perhaps such as their beliefs. And as we mentioned before we hit record, we've got a lot of people who listen to this who are kind of deconstructing, they're reconstructing, and uh, they've experienced that coldness and that anger from their old tribe. So thank you again, just for writing this book, for sharing your story. I think it's just super helpful for a lot of different people. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You know, when you're, when you're penning your memoir, it's hard to figure out how to sift it in a way that makes it um, relatable for other people. And, yeah. you know, you want, you want to be raw, you want to be vulnerable and open. And, um, cause I think that's what people relate to the most. And yet it's not always easy to share the most personal parts of your life with the whole world, you know? Yeah. For <laughs> so sure. it's definitely, it was definitely a difficult process to kind of sift through and figure out what was important and what needed to be brought to the surface in the forefront and what, um, did not, you know, hmm. have you heard, I'm sure, obviously you're, I'm sure you've heard that the feedback has been positive in terms of, um, LGBTQ people kind of resonating with your story, but I'm curious, has that deconstructing crowd also resonated with your story? Because I found, my, I found myself like 
in your story so much. Cause even like in the t- parts where you talk about like your family, how they responded to you, I'm like, I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. I have seen that. And even with the second book with Unashamed, you know, I primarily wrote it for the LGBTQ Christian um, that was wrestling with their coming out process. Mm. And um, yet uh, once it released, I was quickly finding that a lot of people in deconstruction uh, were finding it helpful as well because they too are having challenging conversations with family members and navigating how to set healthy boundaries and Mm. um, often facing grief and loss around um, you know, their faith communities or what that may look like in their home or with their holidays. And so I, I've quickly found that that was resonating with a larger audience than what I initially expected it to. And mm. that's been definitely very encouraging for sure. That's so good. And anybody who's listening to this, I would encourage you to go out and pick up the book. I will put it um, in the show notes so people can go and, and find it. Uh, but I've got, I've got no real agenda for this episode. Uh, really just a few questions that kind of popped into my head as I was reading through sure. Um, your books, but I was wondering if you could maybe just maybe kick us off by walking me and our listeners through some of the bigger pieces of your story. Like obviously your whole book is about your story, so we don't want to give away all the pearls of of wisdom, but (laughs) if you could just kind of walk us through because, you know, you grew up in this world of focus on the family and now all these years later, you've come out as gay, you're married to a woman. And as your book title says, you've been cast out in a sense by your old tribe. So how did you get from there all the way to here and maybe fill in some of the gaps for us. Sure. I grew up kind of in what I think most people would see as like the epitome of a Christian upbringing. You know, mm-hmm. my dad started working at Focus on the Family when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he still works there. So it's been, uh, he's been there for over 30 years. Wow. And so it's that, you know, you, you picture kind of my dad working at Focus, my mom being the stay at home uh, mom that homeschooled us K through 12. Mm. And then me living in Colorado Springs, which was kind of the mega, you know, epic center for all these conservative Christian ministries and evangelical ministries. And so it wasn't just focus that had headquartered there, but there's about 30 other Christian ministries that have based their headquarters in Colorado Springs. Mm. So you're kind of cocooned in this Christian bubble and really homeschooling and church and focus on the family were kind of all that I knew, you know, like that my world was very small. Hmm. I was never exposed to people of diversity um, or really diversity of any kind. So not just LGBTQ, but, you know, people of color and people with disabilities. And, um, and if you ever were exposed to it, it was kind of seen as, well, we're, we're helping them. We're looking down on them because Mm. poor them and we need to help them. And, um, we're like the missionaries. The right yeah, yeah, the missionary mindset. And so my world was just very small. And I grew up in this world where everything was seemingly perfect from the outside, right? Hmm. Um, but I always struggled. I always felt different. Um, I never quite fit in. I wrestled with a lot of um, anxiety and depression from a very young age. Hmm. And yet could never quite pinpoint what that was because... I had, of course, never been exposed to the LGBT community because that was very taboo. Hmm. And I had no language around it um, because I was not in public school, right? So I was not um, having the same exposure or vocabulary that other kids my age may have had. Hmm. And so I really struggled a lot not knowing why all the time. Hmm. And then you add on top of it that I was also deeply um, involved in the purity culture. And at the age of 13, had this big kind of 
uh, coming into womanhood ceremony where all my family and friends gathered and I signed this pledge on the dotted line that I would save sex for marriage. And mm. I really believed it with all of my 13 year old heart, you know, like that was what was expected of you. It was what you were supposed to do as a good Christian um, woman or man. Mm. And so I just was under this um, assumption and belief that if I did all the right things and if I pleased God with my life, that eventually my knight in shining armor would come in on a white horse and sweep <laughs> me off to happily ever after, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I went through my teen years believing that I, in even my early twenties. And yet um, I think in those early 20 years, I started feeling very lonely and mm. started feeling, but I had never dated. So I had no, um, just no knowledge of the dating world or of myself in that. And like no category. So, no. Yeah. There was yeah. no category. There was no, there was just mm. kind of this one path that you were supposed to go down and eventually all the pieces would fall into place perfectly, you know? Mm. Um, and so I just was very lost a lot of the time. And then in my um, early twenties, I ended up falling in love with my female roommate, mm. which was extremely, um, unexpected and out of left field, you know, mm. like I was very disturbed by it because I didn't know much about being gay, but I knew that was the one thing you were never supposed to be, you know, like mm. if you ranked sins, um, that was at the top That's of the, the top. list yeah. um, of things you were never supposed to be. And so I felt a great deal of shame um, and embarrassment and guilt from a, the very, very beginning. Mm. And so it was really, really hard to navigate that because I had nobody to talk to and mm. nobody to go to and share and, and ask questions and figure things out. And there weren't resources available mm. like there are now, you know, like we've got so many wonderful resources for LGBT people and for people of faith and for people deconstructing, but that was not the case 10 years ago, you yeah. know, and things were just barely getting started. And so um, I just kind of went into a tailspin for a while of, wanting to figure it out, wanting to navigate it, but not knowing how and feeling extremely isolated and alone hmm. in my shame and guilt. And that really kind of spiraled for me um, from not just depression and anxiety, but um, then into self-harm and suicidal ideations. And hmm. I just ended up in a very dark place. Hmm. And so it eventually kind of got to the point where I realized I was either going to have to face my greatest fear and look it in the face or it was going to be the thing that killed me. Mm. And so I um, did whatever I could figure out how to do, you know, and, and so I enrolled myself in therapy, which was a great idea mm. um, and very needed. And I found, uh, you know, somebody that was supportive of uh, both my faith and my journey with my sexuality and was not trying to pigeonhole me or change me or do conversion therapy. Um, but that was just supportive of me being my truest self. Hmm. And that was extremely liberating for me. Hmm. And so it was really kind of the place where I was able to express my emotions honestly for the first time, you know, hmm. cause I had been in and out of therapy before, but they were always Christian therapists and there was kind of one right answer to every question, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so you were never able to truly be honest about hmm. what you were feeling. Um, and so this was kind of the first point of being able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I read one of the only books I could find that addressed the issue, but it was very academic and very overwhelming to me. 
And um, I think the thing that made the biggest difference for me in trying to walk that journey and accept myself was when I finally found an affirming faith community. Hmm. And um, I was kind of at my wits end when I, when I did that um, and just typed in like gay Christian church into my Google browser, you know, like not even yeah. knowing what I would find. And um, a church in Denver popped up and I was still living in Colorado Springs at the time, but I drove up there and um, was so terrified of what I was going to find thinking, you know, like I think I, in my head, I had kind of like equated it to being like pride parade in church. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> you have all these like assumptions of what you're going to encounter. Right. And um, yeah, I walked in and I was like, these people all look exactly like me, you know, like uh, they were just normal people loving mm. God, loving each other. And when I started meeting people who had been, you know, together 20, 25, 30 years, and they were just as in love with God and just as in love with their same sex partner or spouse. And it was just the most beautiful thing in the world. And mm. I remember thinking like, I came home that night and I was like, I wrote something into my journal. Like I, I passed the point of no return. Um, cause I saw that it was possible and I knew once I saw that, that there was no going back. It's like, you can't unsee the beauty. Yeah. That you you saw. can't unsee what yeah. you've seen. Huh. And so I knew that there was no going back. Hmm. And, um, of course, once I accepted myself, the next obvious thing was to have to come out to my family because we were so close, you know, like we talked on the phone almost every day and we all lived within a mile of each other. And hmm. it just was, we were very integrated into each other's lives. And so there was no way that I could um, hide it forever, nor did I want to, because, um, living a lie is exhausting, you know, and, 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 um, having to pretend to be somebody that you're not is is exhausting and can really take a physical and mental toll on you. Hmm. And so I took the risk of, of being authentic and, um, sat my family down one day and told them of the journey that I had been on. And, um, really the journey that I had taken with God, because I knew that was going to be their greatest fear, you know, yeah. how that was going to impact my faith. And um, they just kind of glazed over and got this deer in the headlights look. Yeah. And I don't think they heard hardly a word that I said. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of saved like the big, you know, word for last telling them that I was gay. And when I put it out there, it was just the most vulnerable I'd ever felt in my life. Yeah. And, um, my dad just looked at me with this blank stare and said, I have nothing to say to you. Mm. And he got up and walked out and, um, we didn't speak for like three weeks after that, which felt like an eternity in my family. Yeah, Cause you um, talk every day. Talk, yeah. We talked every day. And, yeah. um, so it just felt like an eternity. And when we mm. did, um, I, I think I'd hoped that they would have spent some time trying to understand my journey and do some research of, of what this process had been like for me. Um, but it was just way worse than I even could have expected. And mm. they compared me to murderers and to pedophiles and, um, said, we feel like you've died. How dare you do this to our family? You're so mm. selfish. Um, and it was just, I just felt like interrogated for, you know, however long I was down there, it felt like forever. I think it was a couple hours. Um, but it, it just didn't get better, you know? Mm. And then when I went to leave, they asked for the keys to their house back. And, you know, I wasn't living there obviously anymore. I was an adult, but it still was my childhood home and the place that I had always gone to. It's your Um, safe place. Yeah. And so to have that taken away from me um, was just kind of the ultimate feeling of 
of pain, of hurt, of betrayal, of loss, you know? Mm. And, um, so I ended up pretty quickly actually moving to Denver because that was the only place that I had any kind of support. And I desperately needed that. Mm. Um, cause in the, in the weeks that followed, I lost not only my, um, immediate family, but all of my relatives and, um, cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and, uh, the majority of my friends and my home church that I had been a part of for 14 years. And, mm. and so I really lost everything that I had ever known and was starting with nothing. Mm. And I needed a fresh place to do that. Cause it just, I had been in Colorado Springs for so long that I felt like I was kind of always looking over my shoulder, you know? Yeah. And so I moved to Denver and plugged into the affirming church. And, um, I can't say that there was really like one thing, um, that happened or it wasn't overnight, but it was just, just like slowly over time gaining traction and gaining footing and um, becoming more confident and more secure and who I was. And um, it just, it, it was an extremely difficult process, obviously. And then about a year after is when I met my wife. So it was kind of this teeter totter emotions of like losing everything and yet falling in love, but not being able to share that with your family, but, you know, yeah. and just like this back and forth of just waves of huge emotion. And, um, it was just very hard to navigate. And yet, uh, in the midst of it, I had never felt more alive or more yeah. at peace in my, more at home in my own skin. You know, I just, everything felt so right. Hmm. Um, like, like I had finally found myself for the first time. And even now I, I, I tell people, I feel like, I came alive the day that I came out and my mm. family has missed the happiest years of my life. You know, yeah. um, my wife and I have been married for five and a half years now. And, um, I have not had any contact with my family in that time. Mm. Uh, they, they, we had some very strained contact for the first couple of years and it just wasn't getting better. And it was just quite toxic to be honest. And, mm. um, so after I got married they just cut ties with me completely and we haven't spoken since. So it's obviously like that doesn't go away, you know, like yeah. you're always processing yeah. that grief in layers and it doesn't just um, cease to exist. Uh, but I do feel like the more time that passes, the more confident and secure I become in my own family that my wife and I are creating. Hmm. And the more that that feels grounded and like home to me hmm. and less, um, less empty or less like it's missing something. Hmm. And so I feel like, you know, really over the last year or two is when that's really started to feel really grounded and really good for us and not wow. feel like we're always kind of having this piece that's missing, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's, it's unfortunately not a um, uncommon story. You know, as I wrote Refocusing My Family a few years ago and, and published that, it's a story that seems to resonate with people worldwide. Hmm. And I, I've heard from people all over the globe that uh, many of the missionary families, right, that have been influenced by Dobson and by focusing the family and their, and their parents or their family has been um, stationed in another country to be missionaries mm. and they're experiencing a lot of this same um, deconstruction with their theology or with their sexual orientation or gender identity. And um, it, it's a very common story still. And yeah. um, we, you know, even with the change of marriage equality and things that we've seen move forward, this is people, a lot of people that are more progressive or more liberal don't realize 
how common this still is in conservative circles. Mm. Um, but I receive emails from people constantly still saying, um, you know, that, that they feel like they're reading their story and, and searching for help and support as they try to navigate their process. Mm. So that's really why I continue to do what I do is because I see still how needed it is in, in these conservative circles as people are living the story that I have lived or, you know, that I started out on 10 years ago mm. and they're just the pretty beginnings of that. And, um, to, to remember what that felt like and what it was to journey with that road and to feel so alone in that. Yeah. Um, and if I can help them realize that they're not alone, you know, part of the reason that I wrote the book was I wanted to, to be a voice for others and to help them realize that they're not alone. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're in that bubble by yourself, it feels so isolating. And you think that you're the only person in the world that could ever show up gay in a conservative right. family, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so um, to help them realize you're not alone and there are great amounts of support and networks and books and resources that people have um, designed just for you, you know, like mm. I wrote unashamed just for them because I, of the amount of, of questions and people that were reaching out to me with like, okay, I'm gay and I'm Christian. Now what? How mm. do I navigate this journey? What do I do next? How do I, how do I go forward? Mm. And so I took like all the most commonly asked questions that I got and that's what created Unashamed um, was all those questions and things that I got on a consistent basis of people trying to navigate that journey. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it's very rewarding and fulfilling to see and yet heartbreaking at the same time, you know? Yeah. And I think that as you tell your story, I think, like you said, it gives more people, it helps people find their voice, whose voices yeah. have been covered yeah. and shattered by their own, their own situations. And I think that your story most likely helps other people even put words on their own story. Because I think when you're in the right. midst of all of that angst and all of that drama, so to speak, like you, you don't even have words for what you're experiencing. But I think when someone right. such as yourself has processed through things, organized it in such a way that you can actually write it into a book, it helps somebody maybe find themselves in there as well. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm wondering as you just want to press the button a little bit on your, on the, the family uh, stuff, but you said that you, you came out to your family uh, about three weeks went by, there was no contact and then you had a contact with them again. And it was like almost like worse than it was the first time you had, you, you came out to them three weeks prior. And now you're at this place where that you haven't talked to them really at all. So I'm just wondering for people who are listening, who maybe are having those kinds of issues with their family, who are maybe trying to find themselves in a story such as your own, what, what, what did the process look like from that point to this point? Like, did you, did you try to repair the bridge, so to speak? Did you mm -hmm. put yourself out there? Do you maybe feel that maybe even put yourself out there too much? Like looking back, like, mm -hmm. was it mm -hmm. too toxic of an environment to try to put right. yourself into? Like, what did that look like for you as you navigated through that? Yeah, I, I do think, you know, I did the best that I could with what I had at the time. Yeah, sure. But I did not, I was not equipped with how to set healthy boundaries well. Like, mm. and so that's something that I really try to encourage other people to foster because, you know, growing up in my family, healthy boundaries weren't modeled well. So a boundary is a wall in the evangelical church right, sometimes, right? right? Or, it's, <laughs> or it's seen, you know, you put a boundary between you and your parents that's disrespectful. Right, or yeah. Or it's dishonoring to God or it's, and you're just supposed to trust every person in authority in your life because they're the voice of God to you, you know? Yeah. So I wish that I would have had better boundaries huh. um, or, or better tools for setting healthy boundaries because I think not only would that have helped with my coming out, but it would have helped with so many other things earlier in my life where I 
ended up in a, you know, spiritually toxic environment uh, or uh, that's something that was very harmful for me that wouldn't have had to be as, as traumatic for me as it was, had I been able to just say, no, this is not okay and walk away, you know, Mm. but I was kind of taught that like every person that is the voice of God, that's older than you is supposed to, you know, you're supposed to trust them. And that was a very faulty, you know, Mm. a very faulty way of thinking. And so I wish that I would have been taught healthy boundaries earlier in life and been able to have that agency and say, no, this is not okay. And just walk away. Mm. Um, And really try to foster that with other people. And, you know, I think as I came out, I did start setting boundaries, but it was hard because I had never done it before. And so it was just as hard for my parents to accept that I was setting boundaries as it was for me to set them. It was awkward for both of us. Hmm. And, um, you know, I did the best that I could, um, but I certainly would have done it. I would certainly do it differently now. Sure. Knowing, you know, like I think I put up with things then that I certainly would not tolerate now. Gotcha. And, and, and some things I didn't from the very beginning, like my dad would say, well, you know, Amber, you're always welcome under our roof, but Claire will never be welcome here. And, you know, so from the very beginning, I said, well, then I'm not coming, you know, like that was a boundary I did set very early on. Um, And I was very firm in that because I was like, well, you would never go somewhere for the holidays where mom isn't welcome Hmm. um, and leave her at home for Christmas. You know, like it's the same thing. I would never do that to Clara. And so um, I try to encourage people to remember that boundaries are not about winning and losing because, Hmm. you know, like I set my boundary, my dad set his and neither of us got what we wanted, which was to spend the holidays together. You know, um, the unfortunate reality was that we never spent another holiday together again. Mm. But so it's not about winning and losing. It's about self-respect and yeah. self-dignity and respect for your partner or your spouse and setting those boundaries early because what you do early on sets the precedence for how that's going to be long term. Mm. And people often think, well, I'll just overlook it this one time. I'll just, it's okay. They're at least they're trying, at Mm. least we're here for the whole, you know, but what happens then is you end up compromising and losing yourself down the line and here, you know, several years or five years or 10 years have passed and you've completely lost yourself, but you're still going to spend holidays with them um, because you want to spend time with them, but they haven't, you know, they're, they're happy because they got what they wanted. Mm. They haven't had to sacrifice anything in the process. And so it ends up um, costing you a lot and Mm. costing them nothing. Mm. And so I try to really encourage people to set healthy boundaries from the very beginning. Um, I think for me, like I said, I did the best I could with what I had. And I've certainly gotten a lot thicker skin. Um, I certainly have stood up for myself more now than I did then. And I think at times I wish I would have stood up for myself um, better or, or called it out mm. instead of, you know, cause my parents did a lot of kind of passive aggressive things that were very harmful mm. and hurtful to me. And I wish I would have been thick skinned enough to, to call it out for what it was rather than just kind of um, ignoring it in the moment. Mm. Uh, so I think, I think those are things that we can all learn, you know, and, and we, we get better with time um, or our skin gets thicker with time Hmm. um, and and we learn how to, how to um, stand up for ourselves and and protect ourselves and protect those we love Hmm. um, and without giving yourself away all the time. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's not easy. Like I don't think anybody likes boundaries, you know, like they're hard, they're difficult to set, Hmm. um, but they are healthy and they are right. And I think it's just a process of practice to be able to, to learn how to incorporate those better. 
Hmm. When, when it came to setting the boundaries, did it, did you have, was it face to face conversations? Did you ever set, like, did you ever have those conversations through like letters slash email? I did. Yeah, yeah. I did because I was never good on my feet. You know, like I yeah. wasn't, uh, I was, um, I've gotten better, mm. but I, especially when I was younger, I was not good at verbalizing what I was feeling. Yeah. And so I did a lot better writing it out when I had mm. time, um, than to like respond in the moment to their face. And it also gave me the chance to think through what I wanted to really say rather than react in, in hurt or anger in the moment. Yeah. Um, in the moment. Yeah. And so I was able to like think about how I really wanted to communicate it rather than just responding impulsively. Mm. And for me, that was, that was helpful. I know, you know, people argue that intent and tone can get lost in an email and it can. Yeah. Um, but for me in the moment, that was really all I could do. Um, I felt very backed into a corner and I didn't feel safe to really to communicate those things face to face. And so for me, communicating over email ended up being a boundary because that was what I felt safe to do. Yeah. And, you know, and it kind of, it slowly scaled back. Like we started face to face, then it kind of went to awkward phone conversations. Then it mm. went to email, then it went, you know, so we kind of end up slowly scaling back, but those were boundaries that I kind of not so much, um, they were kind of more subtle that I ended up having to set, but I did mm. it for, you know, they weren't as obvious. I didn't say, okay, now we're only going to communicate over email, you know, right, it just right. kind of what happened. Um, and what I felt safe to do that was, um, that was safe enough for me because mm. I, you know, I was in a place where, I mean, I it was in a very dark place for a while. I got very suicidal. I was having nightmares every night where I was like waking myself up because I was sobbing so hard in my sleep. Mm. Um, you know, like it, it was, it was very hard for a while. And so those were things that I had to do to kind of pull back. And I even encourage people to think about boundaries when it comes to social media. Hmm. That was one of the, I think the hardest ones for me because it was kind of the final string, the final link that I had into their lives, into their worlds where I could see what was happening with them. Even when we weren't speaking, I could still kind of have that window into their lives um, and yet it also ended up being very toxic because I was also seeing all the things that I was not a part of, uh, um, you know, the, the birthday parties I was not invited to the family reunions that I was being left out of the gatherings that the, you know, like I was seeing all these things that I was no longer invited to be a part of. Yeah. And that was very difficult as well. And so mm. it was kind of this constant reminder and constant trigger. And so, um, it was, it was very hard for me to, cut that final tie. And yet it was one of the best, I think, and healthiest ones for me to do Hmm. um, because it, it stopped that cycle of me seeing a constant, a constant reminder of what I was no longer a part of or Hmm. what I no longer had. Hmm. And um, I knew that once I cut it, I could never get it back again, you know, unless things were reconciled. So it was very hard, but I do think it was one of the healthiest things that I ended up doing for myself. Um, to give me some room to breathe and to heal and to create a new life of my own without this constant reminder of um, what should have been Hmm. and what wasn't. And so I I encourage people to think through those things um, because it is, it it can be another point of toxicity if you're not careful. Yeah. One of the things I I really appreciate about your, your story, and this came up a lot in the book is that as as you look back over your childhood, as toxic as you might say that it was uh, now, you didn't throw it all away. Like I love the fact that you you have so many pieces of your 
of your story that you brought forward into your your life today. Um, and I think I think you have a picture in your book of that that chest that you had in your room that had all mm-hmm. of your different uh-huh. things in uh-huh. it. And like in, initially, like in my mind, I'm like, well, I know a lot of people that would just like burn that <laughs> because like right. it just because right. like, it reminds them of so many things of their past. But you really brought it forward. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about about that. Like, what pieces of your of your evangelical upbringing are you grateful for that maybe shaped who you are today? Like, what are the positive things that you brought forward from your, your past? Right. Yeah, it, it's hard because, you you know, some I think it's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah, you know, and just right, say, like, right. well, then it's all bad. Um, and But it's not. Like, there's a lot of things that my parents did very well. My mom mm. was a great homemaker. Um, she did a wonderful job of homeschooling us. Um, she always created a very warm and welcoming home environment, and that's something I still strive for. You know, like, I always mm. am trying to create a warm and... Um, hospitable home that welcomes people. And, um, you know, my dad was very present in our lives. He was a very active father. And mm. so there was things that were very good, you know, um, and holidays were always very meaningful. And those are things that I've tried to carry on into, into my, um, family with my wife. And mm. so there are pieces. And I think, you know, some of the hard pieces I've had to kind of let go of in layers. Um, like when I, when we got married and bought our first house, I had boxes full of stuff from my childhood mm. and I remember opening it and just like staring at it. Like I have no idea what to do with all this. Yeah. What like, do I do with like, this? Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to feel about this. I don't yeah. know what to do with this. Like, are these good memories? I don't know. Like, mm. you know, like I, I just didn't even know what to do with it. Mm. And so I kind of have just taken it in stages and I would go through it and be like, okay, um, I, I know I want to keep this. I know I really don't want to keep that. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about this one. And the things I wasn't sure about, I would just put back in the box. And I was mm. like, you know, we'll reevaluate at another time. And so then like, kind of each time I would open them, I would just go through again and be like, okay, um, these are still meaningful to me. And these are really, I don't need to hold on to those anymore. And mm. so those kind of things where it's just kind of this onion layer of peeling back and um, letting go in stages and um, keeping what's meaningful for you and, and letting go of what's not. and um, so I think even when it comes to the, the values, you know, like those are things that I, uh, I still hold on to a lot of my values. I mean, mm. certainly things have changed in terms of, um, how I view scripture and how I view faith and how I view social justice and people of minorities and marginalized people. And those are things that were never a part of my life before that I have mm. certainly come to value. Um, but a lot of the values that I was taught, I still I still cling to values of integrity and, you know, honesty yeah. and, and faith. And um, I often think that if my parents were able to look past the fact that Clara is a woman, they would see that she's everything they could have ever wanted for me. You know, yeah. like yeah. she's still the spouse that they've always prayed for. Huh. Um, it's just packaged differently than what they expected it to be. Yeah. And so I still hold on to a lot of those values and it, but it is a process. It doesn't um, just happen overnight. There's still pieces that I'm trying to, to reconcile or deconstruct and figure out what do I do with this now and how do I process this? And Hmm. um, so I think when you've come from a lifetime of, um, you know, conservative evangelical upbringing, you're not going to deconstruct it overnight. Like it's it's going to take you another 30 years just to, you know, to deconstruct all that. And so um, I think there's pieces that are valuable and there's pieces that I've had to let go of. And um, Hmm. it's not a quick process. And so I think you just got to give yourself 
space in the, in the journey yeah. to kind of be where you're at and to um, keep what's worth keeping and kind of, you know, sift it. It's like sifting the, the rice and the grain, you know, you, you keep what's worth keeping and the rest you just kind of let go. And, hmm. um, and maybe it comes in waves or it comes in, in layers, but um, you do what's right for you. And, and I've tried to hold on to the good, you know, I've tried to hold on to the good things and, um, and carry that forward with me. Sure. And I, on that deconstruction piece, I think too, like growing up in the evangelical world, like, I don't know about you, but for me, like I was always taught that any form of unknowing, like, and, or any form of like uncertainty is, is sinful. And so right. it's like, you there have a to, lack of faith. yeah. So like the, you have to always have a tight grip on your faith. And if not, then you're yes. doing something wrong. So I think that deconstruction period where you have that very long time of like, I don't really know what I believe you're fighting off those demons, so to speak, right. of, of right. you're doing something wrong. You know, you have to figure right. it out. And so you're, you're scrambling. What book can I read now to try to figure this out, you know, before right. I, I to solve up... the problem? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to fix it. But, you know, I think that's been one of the most freeing things for me because mm. you're right. Everything before in my evangelical circle was right or wrong, black or right, black, yep. black or white, other them, you know, like it was very polarized. And I think one of the biggest gifts that um, the affirming church that I attended when I first moved to Denver gave me was that gift of, um, of wonder, of questioning, mm. of doubting, of not knowing, and being able to move into that space where it's like, I don't know, and I don't have all the answers anymore, and that's okay. Mm. And that used to really scare me. Um, cause it's like, well, if I'm wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? And everything's just going to crumble. Um, and sometimes it does, <laughs> but yeah. it's, you know, like it doesn't frighten me the way it used to. And mm. I find it very freeing now. I find it very inviting. Um, I think we'll always be learning and discovering and uncovering things that are new and being, you know, being discovered, um, archeologically and, mm. and biblically and theologically. And, um, I, I think as long as you have that posture of like always being willing to learn and to grow, you will. Hmm. And for me, I think what I realized was that um, where I lived before was not faith. It was certainty. Hmm. Everything was certain. And um, if you have certainty, what do you need faith for? And so where I live now, I think requires a lot more faith because yeah. I don't know. And there's a lot of things where I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. And that's okay. And, but I think that requires a lot more faith. Yeah. And, um, and it's been a very freeing process, even in the moments where it's been scary. Hmm. So here's a, a quote from your book, kind of going off that idea of, of learning new things. But you say the real truth, uh, the truth I've come to know through the extensive research that lies outside of Dr. Dobson and Franklin Graham's teachings is that God's love comes in many more forms than what Dobson, Graham, and many other evangelicals allow space for. Uh, so what, what exactly, what does that mean? Can you take that a little bit deeper for us? Like what, what research maybe are you referring to, but what, what does God's love uh, look like outside of that evangelical box? Like once you allowed your mind to realize like, oh, like there's more to God, there's more to God's love than what I've been taught. Like, what did that look like for you? Right. Well, yeah, like I said, I think my world was so small. Yeah. Um, my, my understanding of God was so small. Hmm. Um, my understanding of love was very small my parents would speak unconditional love with their mouth um, and say that God's love was unconditional and say that their love was unconditional. But in reality, they didn't believe that to be true. Yeah. You know, like when it came down to it, their love had strings attached. There mm. were certain things that I had to do to keep their love. 
And if I didn't do them, I was no longer part of the family. And so the truth is they don't truly believe God's love is unconditional then either because if they did, nothing would separate us from the love of God. Right. Mm. And they would not feel threatened or feel the need to cut off their daughter because the reason they're doing it is because they believe their faith or their, their eternal salvation is in jeopardy. Right. Yeah. And so if they truly believed in a God that had unconditional love, they wouldn't fear that. Mm. Um, And so I think the God that I've come to know now is so much bigger, Mm. so much more expansive, you know, as I've, as I've read books of, of theologians, as I've gone to conferences, as I've met people, as I've dialogued and, um, done all this research around theology and history and culture of the time that the Bible was written, um, you realize that God is so much bigger than you mm. ever could have dreamed, um, so much more diverse, uh, so much more inclusive. Mm. I think God has placed diversity inside of us to display that to the world. Mm. I think uh, being part of the LGBT community can be a gift that we get to display that form of diversity and that love of God to the world. Hmm. And so I've just come to realize that God is so much bigger than the box we tried to put God in Hmm. and that the love of God truly is unconditional. There are no strings attached. Hmm. Um, There's nothing that you have to do to measure up, to earn your way into heaven, um, to be acceptable to God. Um, And I think that has been, you realize that it's so much bigger than um, what any person can, you know, any person's love is going to be finite and limited, but the love of God is unlimited. And I think when you truly realize that and you truly tap into it, um, it's so freeing and so liberating. Mm. Um, You never ever want to go back, you know, like even with all that I've lost and all that I've gone through, I would never go back Mm. Um, to that place of feeling, I I just felt so suffocated all the time. Mm. Um, Like I was just dying, even though I didn't quite know why. And to be able to be in a place now where I see God so much bigger, so much more diverse and inclusive and expansive. um, And to discover people that also believe that Mm. um, is just amazing. Uh, I've met some of the most amazing human beings since I've come out on the other side, you know, yeah. and people that have gone through, cause you don't just get there by accident. Right. You don't just right. like, Oh, all of a sudden here we are in this day. Like you have to really do your work. You have to really yeah. go through some stuff to get to this point of like deconstructing and it costs you something. Mm. It doesn't just come freely. Like you often end up losing your family or friends or church community or your job or, you know, like it's, it's costly. Yeah. And so when you meet people that have also taken that journey and that road and dared to dig deeper, um, it, it is so rewarding to, to interact and to intermingle your lives with those kind of people. Cause it's so rich and deep and authentic. I felt like prior to coming out kind of in my evangelical world, I lived like in this Barbie doll world where everybody was perfect all the time yeah. Yeah. Um, or they weren't, but they put on this plastic smile like they were and they were never honest and real with each other about true struggles and yeah. um, being able to be in a place where you're able to just be honest hmm. about life and about struggles and about where you are in your, in your faith journey or your questions or your doubts or your wonderings um, is so freeing. And hmm. I think one of the greatest gifts that I've received since coming out. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Just that idea of not, we don't have to journey this road alone. 
like regardless yeah. of where, wh- what it is, what road it is that you're on. You don't have to do it alone. Right. And I think, I think right. back while you're talking, I think to my, I had been like silently deconstructing in my own head and heart for a long time because I didn't know who to talk to about the things mm-hmm. that I was thinking about. And so I had taken this class at seminary and it was a very evangelical conservative seminary, but we had a adjunct professor that came in to teach mm-hmm. this communications class. And he was quoting some authors like Rob Bell, you know, Brian McLaren. And he wasn't saying their names because they were kind of frowned upon, but he <laughs> was, I, yeah, but I was like, Oh, I've read those books. I know who those people yeah. are. And so yeah. after class, I went up to him and I was like, so I've been having all these different thoughts and I don't know who to talk to. And it seems like you, you would understand me. And he's like, you need to go to wild goose. And that's how I got introduced yes. to the wild goose festival. And I went yes. there and I met so many people and I was like, I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone in my thoughts and in my world. And there's even people who are deeper in the wilderness than I am, you know? And it's just like, it's just so interesting to, when you, when you come to that realization that I'm not alone, it just does something in you. Yes, it does. It does. And it it makes a world of difference in being able to propel you forward in the journey because you you gain traction in realizing that you're not alone. Yeah. So what advice, um, before we kind of wrap up, what advice, uh, what words of encouragement do you have for, maybe the person who is feeling outcasted, um, who's listening, like maybe, maybe they've been cast out because of their, you have dog. How many dogs do you have? Sorry. I've got two, no, but it's probably sounds good. like a crew. My cat yeah. was meowing in the background a little while ago. So oh, I didn't hear it. <laughs> he makes her appearance sometimes in the podcast too. So it's all good. But, uh, maybe people have been, uh, outcasted from their families because of their sexuality. Maybe it's because of their faith evolution, but whatever the case may be, if that person was joining us right now, uh, what would you say to them? You know, I think I would encourage them to first plug into a community where they can realize that they're not alone because it really is one of the most um, freeing things to not feel so isolated. Mm. Um, So I really encourage them to plug into um, a conference like, like wild goose or um, Q Christian fellowship, something where they can be around other people like them um, cause it is really an amazing experience, mm. um, to be able to, I remember the first time I went to what was at the time gay Christian network and is now Q Christian fellowship. And just to be in a room with like, you know, a thousand or 1200 or 1500 other people, 1500 other people that are going on the same journey as you. And you're like, it's just amazing. Mm. And it does so much to encourage your soul in, in taking that next step forward and that next step forward. Mm. Um, and then I would just encourage them to to realize that God fully and completely loves you exactly the way that you are. Mm. There is nothing that you have to change or do or measure up. Like you are wholly and completely loved by God. Mm. And there's no question about that. So being able to solidify that in their mind and know that there is nothing um, that you have to do to earn that love from God. It is already there. Mm. Um, and because I think so many feel like they have to make that choice between their faith and their sexuality. And mm. you just, that is not true. Um, God fully, I believe God smiles on you. Um, if you're with a same sex partner, just as much as if you're with an opposite sex partner, you know, mm. like it, there's, it makes no difference to God. Mm. Um, as, and I believe he blesses same sex marriages and calls them holy and, Um, you can still have everything you ever dreamed of, even if it looks a little bit different, you know, Mm. like, um, you don't have to throw all your dreams out just because 
you realize that you're you're gay or you're trans or you're mm. bi, um, you can still have all the dreams that you, that you dreamed of, even if they look a little differently, even if you have to fight for them a little harder, mm. um, they are still available to you. Mm. And yeah, I just want them to know that they're not alone. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I do the work that I do and um, try to connect with people as much as I can is I never want them to feel isolated in their journey and feel like they're alone going through this. Mm. And um, so I just, I want them to feel loved and supported regardless of where they are in the process. That's beautiful. And where can people go to find you on online? Uh, you can go to my website, ambercantorna.com. Um, you can also find me on social media at Amber N as in Nicole, Amber N Cantorna, um, across all platforms. So awesome. Well, and Amber, books are available on Amazon and all the, places. all the places where you find all the, the places. All the places. <laughs> uh, well, Amber, this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to join me. And again, uh, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Uh, you as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you were a bird I'd let you fly Far, far away Up ever so high When you were a river I'd let you run Down to the way Ting way Stop.